Welcome to this episode of the podcast. Guess what you're going to hate? I'm Janine. Oh, sh- Oh, sorry. Uh, I forgot to tell you. Oh, my gosh. Let's that's how you do again. it. Okay, cool. Are you, <laughs> tra- are, are you starting over again? Yeah. Okay. Um, I forgot and- to tell you. <laughs> hey, this is great. We survived Y2K. I can't wait for the pop culture headed my way. It's the very worst. I'm just saying Paris Hilton deserves better. Also the best. Shrek won an Oscar. Pop culture of the 2000s. It's Guess What You're Gonna Hate with Janine and Kate. Welcome to this episode of the podcast, Guess What You're Gonna Hate. I'm Janine. And I'm Brian. And this is a podcast about exposing someone to the very worst and sometimes best, but mostly worst, pop culture of the 2000s. And I know it's been a long time since you've heard an episode from us. I We had some technical difficulties, but thanks to the support of our patrons, I was able to purchase a new mic. And we're starting off again in spooky season with a guest episode from my friend Brian and from the podcast, The Blood Buddies. How's it going, Brian? You know, it's going all right. Um, it's it's been a it's been a fun time. Uh, just <laughs> just celebrated uh the show's three year anniversary. Wow. So we're uh we're alive, we're kicking, and uh yeah, it's 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 been okay over over here in North Carolina. We're surviving. <laughs> Well, I know that you've been on the podcast before, but it's been a while. So if you could just let the listeners have like a little refresher of what the Blood Buddies is about. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, the great thing now is actually I have a whole script that uh, basically is an elevator pitch. So Ooh, um, it's it's not even that much of an elevator pitch. Uh, essentially, uh, the Blood Buddies, It uh, within the last time you've or I was on the show, uh, we went from two or from four uh, house down to two, but mm-hmm. uh, anyways, we are a horror podcast that discusses a movie based off of, of a roulette wheel of themes. So every now every other week, when we have a uh, uh, or we spend the roulette wheel, it gives us a theme. Uh, typically, it's something like slashers. Uh, you know, one-time horror directors, movies that were featured on, like, Elvira, this and that, you know. And then we pick the movie, we talk about it, we, you know, have fun, and then we just kind of give it a little loose rating, and then we spin the wheel for the next uh, episode. That's about it. I like the concept of a roulette wheel. It kind of reminds me of how uh, Kate and I once referred to the list of movies that she wants me to watch as a Rolodex of trash. Oh, yes. I feel like Rolodex and roulette have a lot in common. So if you were going to have something off the roulette wheel uh, from your podcast, what would really be the genre of the movie that you picked out for us today? Oh, boy, howdy. Um... (laughs) Because it could be considered slasher, horror, comedy, so bad Barely. it's good. Um, I don't know. I mean, like it's. I mean, it it's exact. I feel like it's exactly what uh, you're looking for, though, on a show like this. Kind of a so bad you have to talk about it, and a uh, and a mid two thousands kind of movie or early two thousands movie. It's the kind of movie that when you watch it, you have to convince yourself that it's so bad that all of your friends have to watch it. It's the kind of movie you bring up at parties. Like, oh, we've got to watch it sometimes. Let's get, let's get drunk and watch this movie. So we're talking about 
Club Dread. Yes. Uh this this movie it, it's a wonderful movie and it's uh it, it, it's a perfect uh meeting like Venn diagram of my two <laughs> interests uh which are uh horror movies uh specifically slashers and then Jimmy Buffett um <laughs> I love I love both so much and I've crafted even a band based off of Jimmy Buffett and now it's just like that like Broken Lizards Club Dread is just right in the middle. It is a slasher movie that takes place on essentially Margaritaville. It's such a interesting, stupid, like premise, and <laughs> does it work all the time? N- no. no, absolutely not. <laughs> but I I've watched this movie so many times this year already. It's it, it's. <laughs> It baffles me each time. Well, I think that on your little roulette wheel, where this would fall is, you know, somewhere in between all the categories of slasher, horror, thriller, is a little tiny sliver. And when your dart lands there, or your, like, I guess the clicker runs there, however you get to it, it's just a little tiny thin line that's called island time. And yeah. <laughs> that's where Club Dread lies. As you mentioned, Club Dread is a 2004 movie from the minds of Broken Lizard. Uh, Broken Lizard, I think, is best known for Super Troopers. You know, it's just a comedy troupe from the 2000s that, you know, at least it's a little bit more diverse than your typical comedy troupe of the 2000s. But I think it's kind of funny that it's introduced. Like, If you watch this on Hulu, it's on Hulu streaming right now. Um, it's not called Club Dread. It's called Broken Lizard's Club Dread. Like, it's National Lampoons, you know? <laughs> like, they really wanted to have that as part of the marketing. I thought that was interesting because the only other thing they're really known for is Super Troopers. Though they did do um, an Oktoberfest movie, I think. Ah, uh, yes, Beer Fest. That is a... Uh, Beer Fest is a comfort movie of mine. It's weird. I don't like... I, let me get this out of the way. I don't really like Broken Lizard, but for some reason, both Club Dread and Beer Fest are comfort movies of mine that I will just kind of like watch just randomly. Like, I, I don't understand why, but those two movies do it for me. But uh, yeah, no, they're mainly known for Super Troopers because um, I think otherwise they did the Slammin' Salmon and uh, Super Troopers 2. They haven't really done anything else. Uh, yeah, because like Super Troopers 2 came out like within the last two years, I think. Yeah, it came out like, I think, yeah, two years ago. It was. They did the Dukes good. of Hazard too, which surprised me. They were not, they did not make it. I think they were in it, but. Uh, yeah. It surprised me because that was a pretty big budget movie as far as I know. Yeah, it was uh, Jay, Jay Chandra Sekar. Uh, he, I think out of everyone from Broken Lizard, he's the one that basically had the most outside uh, mm-hmm. success from uh, Broken Lizard. Because he's, he's done a lot of stuff. If you've, uh, if you pulled up his IMDb, it's, it's pretty, uh, pretty impressive in a way. Like he does a lot of like comedy directing, uh, but he's done like his own, or he's done acting as well. Uh, like there was like a comedy drama that he was on for a brief moment that was really good. Um, oh my god, what was it called? It's been such a long time. I'm like looking through. I'm like, oh wait, maybe <laughs> well, it wasn't that good. I don't he remember. He directed some episodes of Community, and Community's great. And you know, he he's definitely had a much more varied career than some of the other members of Broken Lizard. He also did some episodes of um, Blue Mountain State 
which explains a lot because there's a lot of raunchy humor that I think is echoed here in Club Dread. Because uh, yeah. so let's get this out of the way. Club Dread. Can you give me your best short one to two sentence summary of what Club Dread is about? So Broken Lizards Club Dread is a whodunit slasher about a murderer who's killing off uh, people, mainly uh, mainly the employees at a Margaritaville-esque uh, resort hosted by a Jimmy Buffett parody known as <laughs> Coconut Pete. That's literally it. Yep. Uh, essentially club dread is like what would happen if you took a lot of pcp and then burst into a margaritaville restaurant or maybe a club med because i think the title club dread is very clearly parrying a club med resort which is okay like gonna show off my uh privileged background here i have been to a club med when i was growing up back in the 90s and uh I don't remember a lot of it because I was a kid, but it's very much like a, a here we put all the white people in this like resort and they get to pretend like they're in an island, which is like funny because when they're coming off the plane in the beginning and everyone's like, uh, you're mandated to have fun. Like it's a vacation here. It's like it's very much like the energy in a Club Med. So <laughs> I, I always thought Club Med uh, just because, you know, when you hear Club Med in a lot of uh, media, they really make it come across of it being like a huge like fucking orgy so that's what i always thought club med yeah. was was just like people fucking the whole time um so that's actually surprising because i was like you were a there? child that went to club med what the fuck? um i mean maybe i'm wrong because i think there's like club med sandals and beaches and yeah. i think maybe it's like you know how you have kleenexes but we call all tissues kleenex I think that mm. might be the same thing for Club Med because I'm pretty sure I went to like a Beaches or a Sandals. Right. Though Club Med sounds familiar. You know what I bet it is? Is we all went to a Beaches or Sandals, whichever one is the family friendly one. And my parents on a, in another year went to Club Med without us. Huh. That makes more sense because you are right. It is a very sexually charged <laughs> term. <laughs> I think that my biggest problem with this film is that it doesn't commit enough to either genre. Like, it's it's kind of a, it's a weak horror, like, slasher, because, you know, it's, first of all, it annoyed me to no end that every single jump scare was fake. Like, every single jump scare was yeah. fake. Which is, like, it's okay to fake out a few jump scares. That makes it funny. But when you never have any tension in the movie, because you know the jump scare is going to be fake, it isn't funny anymore. At least it wasn't for me. But... Then again, I was watching it on the couch in 2020 when nothing seems funny anymore. So <laughs> maybe it was different back in 2004. Uh, the parodying dialogue wasn't campy enough. Like a lot of the times it really just felt like I was watching a really long porn movie. Like because it's so sexually charged. There's a lot of like bad acting and sexual innuendo. And it's like this, I don't know. I, I have conflicting feelings over it, but I don't want to disparage it too much because I do know that it is a comfort film of yours. So, Oh, just because it's a comfort movie does not mean it's a good movie at all. <laughs> um, I, I totally do not fault anyone for saying that they they would not enjoy this movie. Um, I get it. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, the acting isn't 
really that good. Uh, Jay San- Jay Chandrasekhar's character, oh uh, what's God. his name, Nigel, or uh, it's, uh, like Putman. Putman, Putman, yes. Putman. Um, he uh he has like the worst British the worst. accent, um, and he has dreads too. Like, and, yeah, yeah. And I mean, like, there's there's a lot of it that doesn't land. Um, I I think for me one of my favorite things uh about it though is. Like it starts off for me really well. Like the opening kill, like it's it it's good enough for an opening. And then uh, what I really like about the movie is <laughs> it's it's really just the opening that always makes me laugh. It's right when like you in or you're being introduced to all the main castmates, and every like little thing is like triggered to them where it's like, oh my god, <laughs> they're gonna be the killer. And so it's things like, oh, do you have the weed? No, I don't have the weed. It's like dun 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 dun. I didn't think about it as them being the killer. I just thought of them just being like weirded out by the other person. But in the, that context, it makes more sense. Yeah, uh, definitely. I mean, also, I do admit that I'm definitely an amateur when it comes to the thrillers, uh, slasher, horror genres. So maybe that's another reason why it didn't land so well with me is because it's not really something that I watch a lot of. Like I've seen a few. Yeah. But it's not like my bread and butter. So that's also, I think, a, a differ of a viewpoint between the two of us. <laughs> right. And also with, so with this movie, uh, hold on, let me pull up, uh, let's see, the year for this movie was... 2004. What, 2004. Um, okay, so this came out the same year as Shaun of the Dead. And I think both mm. of them are good examples, good and bad examples of essentially parodies of horror. So you have uh, you have Shaun of the Dead, which is critically acclaimed. People mm-hmm. love it. It's a great, great movie. movie, and you can tell that one is a love letter to the genre while poking fun at it. Like it's not them yeah. just like taking the piss. It's yeah. just them making a movie, but making it or making a zombie movie, but funny. This <laughs> movie, on the other hand, you can't really tell that there's any sort of love. For the genre definitely yeah it's just them kind of taking a piss of like oh yeah i'm gonna make a horror movie and it's gonna happen it's gonna have tits there's gonna yeah. be there's gonna be lots of blood there's gonna be fake jump scares it's like you're definitely right and that's i think that was you've just put my problem with the movie into words is like the reason movies like you know scream or airplane the reason why they're or shot of the dead are successful is because they've intensely studied those genres and like narrowed in on exactly why the things they do are funny whereas this movie was kind of like a couple of bits that had a very loose like thread between them um like for example I thought that it was genuinely funny when there's a part where they have like a, a real life Pac-Man maze for the guests. Oh, I love that. That, that part's was good. like funny. It's genuinely like a funny idea, but like it doesn't really connect to the rest of the of the story in a way. Like other than like, of course, one of the someone gets murdered in the Pac-Man maze, like whatever. But I felt like if we had more examples of like other like larger than life like club activities, other than just like a small little montage, I don't know. I think that the movie is best in its second half. The first half is really, really, really weak, but the second half gets much stronger when they have more momentum to find out who the killer is. Yeah, once the kills are like becoming noticeable, yeah, that's when things really kick into motion um 
I would say, while while the second half is definitely good, uh, I think there's a problem with the pacing in the first half that actually, to me, makes the second half a little bit unbearable because I'm just like, I feel like it's like, oh my god, I just watched like an hour of you know <laughs> setup, and it wasn't even an hour setup; it was probably like thirty minutes. Yeah. But then I'm just like. I'm so tired where I'm just like, oh, now we actually get the plot and now I'm just, I'm tired and I'm ready for this movie to be done. Like I've seen this movie so many times and I still, right when, uh, right when the crew is in, or it's like Lars and uh, the lady from Joe Dirt, I can't remember her Jenny, name. Jenny, uh, when they're, Jenna, maybe. yeah, whichever. Uh, when they're at, in her cabana, at that moment, I usually have to look to see how much longer is this movie because I'm just like, all right, I get it. And then there's like still another like 15 minutes or even longer. I'm just like, Jesus, oh my God. But I um, actually had that a similar moment and it was earlier on in the movie because there were, like I said, some genuine funny like moments. In the first scene, the first kill, I actually cackled out loud when the guy who's like, doing the typical horror movie of like sneaking off with two hot girls to get it on or whatever. I guess he only does it with one hot girl. The other hot girl shows up. Cause you know, whatever. Uh, and like one of the hot girls is like kissing his chest and she gets spooked by the killer. Like with a you know, classic like twig snap in the background. And he goes, Hey, what about my nipple? And I just lost oh, it. Cause yeah. it was just it was so out of the blue, like just so out of the blue. And it wasn't even really that funny in context, but it just caught me off guard. But later there's a moment where one of the women who's killed, whose name is you, which they love that joke because, oh, you yeah. know, <laughs> the obvious, uh, she's trying to escape the killer and she hops onto a golf cart, starts it up and takes off. And uh, you see that the golf cart's going like three miles an hour. No, not even like a, a mile and a half an hour. It's like so slow. The, the killer is like walking alongside it and then kills her. And I thought that would have been really funny had they focused more on it. Because it happens so quickly that it's like the joke is there, but it's not delivered right. But I paused right then and I was like, I, I got to go take care of something. And I looked at it. And I was like, I still have an hour and a half left in this movie? This is like yeah. 15 minutes in? What? Because the pacing is really, really slow in that first part. The the one thing, you know, since this this whole uh, podcast is about talking about things that you, you, you don't like, um, <laughs> I, I will say uh, the biggest thing that I hate about this movie uh, and is the one thing that as a kid when I watched this movie, I hated and uh, watching now I still hate I really fucking hate Sam Levine's character, the like young uh, guy that you know is visiting, who's like always making fun of Putman, and he's just kind of there to be like an antagonist. Oh, uh, the guy who gets killed by the CRT in the pool. Yes, I knew it was a satisfying <laughs> kill because I can't stand that guy. But I I hate him. I I love him as an actor. Like he's you know apparently he's a really cool guy in real life. Uh, great in Freaks and Geeks. But I just cannot stand him in this movie. He's just so fucking annoying. And I, I this might be a testament to like him actually doing well on the... Yeah, um, I could see that as an argument there. But yeah, his his character was largely unneeded. I felt that... I, I found it very hard to keep track of who was who for the first half especially. Which is 
interesting because they actually introduce the entire cast with like a text over them as you're coming off the boat, almost like it's like a, a video game with like the pause and like the name comes up and their title. Yeah. Um, but it was still hard to keep track of who was who. And so every moment that wasn't focused on them just kind of made you even more forget like who the movie was about. Like by the time people were disappearing, I was kind of like, I don't remember what the names are of the people that are left. So one thing I thought was confusing as well was like, for example, so it starts this opening kill and then does this smash cut to like 30 minutes earlier or whatever, like 40. I don't remember what the time skip was, but, um, then like, you know, other things start happening. Other people get murdered and they find this like, activity board that's got all the employees names on them and their names are crossed out this happens like 30 or 45 minutes into the movie and then i see uh rollo's name cross off because he's the guy who dies in the first scene and i realized i had no context for when that murder actually happened in the larger like sense of the plot does that make sense like it felt yeah, very disconnected yeah it, it's uh the opening's pretty non-linear um because i mean you you would imagine that you know, that murder happens, you know, before everyone's landing, but it's, yeah, it, it essentially happens. I think it's like right around the Pac-Man kill, I think technically is when it happens. Mm-hmm. Um, it makes no sense why they did that, but <laughs> um, like, it, it, it's not even like a big reveal, you know, it's just like, yeah. oh, all right. Okay, cool. Neat. <laughs> The one thing uh, in, or that's included on the board that I wish they talked more about, because uh, it was a really clever idea, which was people were apparently being murdered by, or like based off of the song lyrics from Coconut Pete. Mm-hmm. And I mean, like, it's still there a little bit, but I kind of wish, like, it, it sort of falls by the wayside. Um, like, they have Lars, who's the super fan of Coconut Pete that's working, uh, you know, on the on the staff but you know they like kind of do a little bit of uh investigation but then eventually you know coconut pete's like i was fucking high this entire time like none of these lyrics make any sense (laughs) and then it just kind of falls by the wayside i would have loved a little bit more creativity almost like a final destination where it's just like you know they're like putting it all together like by the base of the clues Mm -hmm. um that would have been pretty cool uh but that doesn't happen uh which is yeah, a little bit of a letdown. Yeah, the killer abandons it as soon as they find out what the lyrics are. Because also, you know, like, I don't, it's it's no spoiler. There's no, like, real plot here. You know, obviously, one of the other club members, or club staff, are, is the killer. His name is Sam, and he... The party is, police. Yeah, the fun police, the party fun police. police. Yeah, he, yeah, he's there to, like, make sure the members have fun. And when he talks about his motivation, there's a fake out where he first, like, like he said... There's a flashback to that first part where one of the other members tells him he doesn't have any weed to share. And he goes, oh, no, 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 that's not the reason I killed everybody. I killed everybody. That was just really uncool. (laughs) Yeah, that was just really uncool. And it's like, okay, whatever. It was a serious, like, eye roll, like, typical, like, Tropical Thunder type, like, weed humor from the the 2000s. But uh, it turns out that his motivation is because uh, he felt that the resort belonged to him. So he showed that he was fostering community and, like, working together with the staff by making them think about the song lyrics and figuring out what could happen next. But it doesn't pay off because, like, none of the other murders are themed after the lyrics at all. 
Except um, there is like a pretty funny moment where they like think, what if this hot like club goer, um, Penelope, or as they say, Penelope. Penelope. <laughs> what yeah. if Penelope is the killer because she offers octopus to Juan, and the next line is about like octopus and the it's like an octopus's garden type, like I am yeah. the walrus, like because they actually someone sings that like to make fun of the fact uh, that the song lyrics make no sense. Though Jenny has a really great line when she says, um, "Are you telling us that our lives depend on interpreting the dumbest fucking song I've ever heard?" and <laughs> That did get quite a chuckle out of me. <laughs> I mean, one of the, one of the greatest things in this movie, uh, speaking of the dumbest fucking lyrics ever, is <laughs> is Bill Paxton as Coconut Pete. Like, I think out of everyone, he gives it his all. Like, he really you know, does. It, 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 it's it's essentially stunt casting because everyone else is either small comedic actors or part of Club Dread. And then they get fucking Bill Paxton to play Jimmy Buffett, essentially. <laughs> and um, I, I think he does a really good job uh, like trying to have like island vibes, and, but then like has resentment towards Jimmy Buffett, which is in to me, one of the most uncomfortable scenes in cinematic history when after like they sing this like stupid song about ponytails and cocktails where it's just like, Oh, uh, wherever, but don't ever cut your tail. Cause otherwise you have pony cock or oh something like that. But then, um, someone in the, uh, or at the campfire is like play Margaritaville. And he's like, I believe you mean Pina Colada Berg. And it just like keeps going where she's like, no play Margaritaville. And, he just like slowly starts getting angrier and then he's like yeah i wrote this song seven years before margaritaville <laughs> was even on the fucking map and then he calls or he calls jimmy buffett a uh, son of a son of a bitch based off of the song <laughs> son of a son of a sailor and then says mother motherfucker and it's just oh everything about that just as a parrot head made me just I was laugh. say that's a very niche like slice of humor oh yeah like i didn't get it until i started listening to jimmy buffett and i was like ah, ha, ha, ha. well you bitched good... this to me as the jimmy buffett horror movie which at first i didn't really understand I was like well what's this really got to do with that and then i i heard jimmy buffett's you know voice uh, covering one of the songs for pleasure island and it according to the trivia for this movie, um, they actually screened the movie for Jimmy Buffett, and he loved it so much, he asked to cover one of the songs <laughs> so that it could be on the soundtrack, which was a nice touch. I thought it was like a very much like a nod to Jimmy Buffett, who's clearly, you know, obviously with that scene, they address the parrot-shaped hole in, in the films. Like, they, it is right. definitely based on Jimmy Buffett. Uh, I thought also that... Um, uh the hank the his security guard who's played by mc gainey oh yeah he was, was really good too uh and he he very much committed to it i think that you know i said unfortunately a lot of the women's acting uh was very like like shallow and not that the guy's acting was better like we already said Putman was awful. The British accent is just truly horrible. And you're not even sure why he's doing the British accent other than it's funny to make fun of a guy who's like posh. Yeah, um. yeah. He, he's he's supposed to be like this posh, like probably gay guy. But then like you find out that he has the hots for Jenny yeah. kind of thing. He does have a good line when Jenny like runs up to hug him because she's scared. And he goes, really? I assume everyone's dead because you're hugging me. But he doesn't deliver it. Like, he doesn't deliver it right at all because he's focusing too much on the accent. 
rather than the yeah. acting. But um, also, there's a scene. It's there's so many stupid like perverted like jokes or innuendos and like I'm not a prude by any means but there is a certain level where it's just like okay like we get it like come on this is a film for the boys whatever like um but there's a part where they're trying to figure out like who among them might be the killer and everyone has their suspicions and one person says well what about Juan he went to jail and what, oh. did you go to, what did you go to jail for, Juan? And he actually really, really, really commits to the bit when he, like, has a tearful confession that he made love to a goat. And yeah. I was like, he really gave that his all. Like, not many people can say they gave it their all in a scene where they're admitting to bestiality. Yeah, and then it gets <laughs> undercut where they're like, ew, you sick. And he's like, I use a condom. And then Jenny was like, you said it was against your religion. <laughs> and you're just like, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, uh I, I would say one other thing that I, I don't necessarily like in the movie, uh, because I, there was a lot of fake outs, but, uh, the fake outs were like the killer just could not die. And then he essentially doesn't die even at the end. Cause like you see his legs kicking along, <laughs> Uh, on the boat but it's just that's something that i never really cared too much about uh in this movie because it's like oh man there's been like some good ends and then he just keeps coming back yeah and it's not even like a good way like you're just like my god just just die it's it, it kills the joke was what it does like because it's just yeah you know the first time a killer gets up when they've been killed like i get the ideas they're making fun of the idea in horror movies that the killer never really dies and like it's funny but you could have made that joke just the one time and it would have been funny but when you keep doing it it no longer becomes funny just like all the fake outs all the fake jump scares well i think austin powers does it way better where uh in the first movie there's someone who just continuously gets hurt where it's just like <laughs> you know, gets, like, a knife in her and then gets, like, shot and then eventually gets, like, bazooka'd, still alive, and then, like, he, like, they're, like, falling out of a building and then Austin Powers uses her as, uh, you know, like, to brace for impact uh, and she's still alive and he just goes, like, why won't you die? And that's it. Like, it's a, it's a, nice, it's a nice joke compared to this movie where it's just not... I don't know. <laughs> Just not. Yeah, I mean, like, the whole point of guess what you're going to hate is not really, like, we don't have to hate on things. It's really just, like, there are some things that you've watched when you were younger and you do have fond memories of them because in the context, you know, it's like you said, this is a comfort movie for you. Like, in the context, it's something that you enjoyed watching in some way and but you know intrinsically it's not like capital g good and that's what like the spirit of guess what you're gonna hate is i really think it's about those things that are almost better with the nostalgic goggles on yeah you don't rewatch it so i thought this was a perfect fit for coming back for spooky october for like coming up with something that's you know kind of fits the theme of reading to halloween while still being campy not that good like it, it yeah. really hits all the buttons it was a really great suggestion i mean i it's not a movie that i felt angry about seeing like the black dahlia i was angry about having watched uh, the black yeah. dahlia but this one was at least like yeah it's a little cringy or whatever but i think the big, i think i can put this in context for all the listeners um so super troopers was like the first really big standout hit from uh 
Broken Lizard. And they had a budget, I think, of like $1.5 for that, which is really small for a movie. But they made like a lot of money from Super Troopers because it was a sleeper hit. Uh, that was in 2001, so just three years prior. Um, let's see. It made $23 million. So that's a lot. I mean, especially in 2001. <laughs> in, in comparison, Club Dread had an $8.3 million budget and only grossed 7 point, sorry, 8.6, not 8.3, and only grossed uh, $7.6 million. So it was a $1 million loss. And when you're watching this movie, because I that was, that was the only thing I looked up beforehand. I just wanted to look up, I, just, I looked at the page, like, oh, this has a pretty big budget. Let's see where this goes wrong if they can suffer so badly. And the whole time I was watching, is like, where did that money go? Like, where yeah. did it go? There's no, like, big special effects. Other than there is actually one part that I felt like was an actual gross moment, which was when one of the staff members gets killed and his head gets mounted on a record. Oh yeah, yeah. And that's the record a good one. spins. That actually was legitimately gross, and I thought, oh, okay, but that's not an eight point six million dollar no. <laughs> special effect. Um, <laughs> and I, I think because of this box office, uh, I guess it would be considered a bomb. It was a flop. Yeah. Um, I, I due to that, I I think that's really what killed the career of Club Dread. It's oh, gotta uh, be. Oh, it's gotta be. Um. Yeah. Let me see. Cause I'm trying to remember what happened. No, Beer Fest happened after this. So, no, apparently it Well, it Dukes didn't of Hazard was next in 2005, but that was a partnership with a bigger... I mean, because they're... Like, he directed it, um, Jay did, but it wasn't by Broken Lizard. They were in it. And yeah. then Beer Fest was 2006, Beer Fest. So, I think you're right. I think they did manage to bounce back, but only because they partnered with somebody else. It was a big risk. That, I mean, because Dukes of Hazard wasn't really like amazing. I actually saw that one in movie theaters. I um, I like that movie. Maybe you know, actually, I think I like Jay Chandra's Sekar. I think that's what it is. <laughs> hey, why not? You know, it's good to know what you like. I mean, I remember enjoying it, but I was also let's see, two thousand. I was like four, like thirteen or fourteen. So like, I don't really count yeah, what thirteen like 14 or fourteen or year old me liked. Yeah. So, but um, and also I know I personally have a very bad taste in movies so i just assumed if i liked it it wasn't good <laughs> i have a i have a soft spot for movies based off of uh old tv shows i don't know why i like adam's family i love all the adam's family movies including the one that came out last year i liked the dukes of hazard one i like the brady bunch movies the beverly hillbillies i don't know there's something weird about it that i don't know i'm just always so intrigued that you know watching a tv adaptation but not even anything like the veronica mars movie where it's like no we're just making veronica mars but as a movie but like someone it's there's usually some sort of meta aspect when they make it into a movie that i think mm -hmm. as a kid i always enjoyed so i think that's why i liked uh dukes of hazard that's interesting. I remember when I saw Dukes of Hazard, it was like, and now we're totally off the subject of Club Dread. Well, I guess not really, because Jay was involved. But yeah. when I saw Dukes of Hazard, I had no clue about the TV show. So I had no context going into the movie. Uh, okay. But I do remember my parents telling me the context. Like, oh, yeah, this is based on a movie. And I was like, uh, wasn't Green Hornet in that same vein? 
yeah that came green out hornet uh green hornet's like a co- uh, i can't remember if it came first as a comic book or the comic book was inspired by the tv show but uh yeah i mean it was mainly popular in the ninth no it was a radio show starting um but anyways uh it eventually became like a 1960s popular show with uh bruce lee in it um and then michelle gondry uh Weirdly enough, him, out of all the directors, you know, the guy that did uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind, made the Green Hornet movie, which I also enjoy. So, I mean, I haven't seen it in a really long time, so I'm just going to say, if I liked it back then, I don't know if I can say if it's good or not. No, it it, it isn't a good movie. It's not. I I just enjoy it. Well, I'm seeing that the... So the budget, like comparably for the Dukes of Hazard, is fifty-three million dollars, and it actually had a pretty good box office success of one hundred and eight, one hundred and nine million dollars. Versus Fear Fest, which was then their next solo Broken Lizard. That it's also their last uh, theatrical until yeah. uh, Super Troopers too. Yeah, that one only had a success of three million dollars. So I think at that point they were like, "Hey, I don't think that you know Club Dread." put them like totally out of the business but i think at that point they're like maybe something isn't working here yeah <laughs> like, like fool me once shame on <laughs> you fool me twice shame on me yeah no i get it but i, um, I do like seeing this movie because i mean I'd, I'd seen super troopers and i saw it in high school like well after it came out but i remember watching it and being like oh this is actually really funny and um it's really interesting to see something that comes from this very 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 2000s humor like this is anything by broken lizard is very 2000s just like national lampoon is very like 80s 90s you know or it's it really encompasses a lot of like the the fake out humor the really really sexual humor like it it really does a good job i think of encapsulating that like what i usually call like peak 2000s humor and i for that reason alone i think it was a good kind of like in the last month or so, I haven't done anything for the podcast because of the technical issues. And before that, we were just mostly reviewing music because it was a little bit easier to coordinate. So it's been a long time since I've had to see a product of the 2000s. And this was just a really good, like, slap to the face. Do you know what I mean? Like, it was a really good wake-up call. It's like, this is what you're reviewing. This is what oh, you're, yeah. you're doing for your podcast. Well, I'm glad I was able to <laughs> subject you to the... Well, thank you so much for your time, Brian. And I'd love to give you this time to just talk about some of your projects, like the Blood Buddies and your band, anything you want to plug. Yeah, Blood Buddies, uh, we're still out and about. Uh, you can find us on really anywhere that you listen to podcasts. Uh, you know, we've had some good, uh, some really cool guests recently, uh, people that, you know, have been big horror writers and uh, mm-hmm. people that have been found or have been... Uh, heard or seen from uh like on fangoria uh so we've really like tried to branch out and uh kind of you know broaden our our horizons uh so yeah definitely check us out we have an episode coming out on nightmare on elm street 3 uh on friday the whatever next friday is i think Um, it's the 13th bud the third no way no way i'm pretty sure no way. I can't believe that. No, no I'm wrong. Friday the Friday 16th. A... <laughs> um, it's the 13th. It's a Tuesday, which is an yeah. equally spooky day. 
But uh, so yeah, uh, we have an episode coming out next next week on that. Uh, it'll be great. And then uh, we and then I also have a band called Plastic Flamingos, which is a pop punk kind of band that's uh, inspired by the works of uh, Jimmy Buffett. We uh, just finished recording an album uh, last, or I guess I don't know by the time this episode comes out. Uh, at the start of October, we finished recording our album and uh, we're trying to have that out by Halloween. Uh, the album is called Halloween Beach Party. And uh, I'm very proud of the work because it, I think it's pretty accessible for people who hate Jimmy Buffett. Uh, <laughs> and uh, it may broaden horizons for people who do like Jimmy Buffett. So who knows? That's cool. I've enjoyed following your projects, like having known like for about a year and a half or so, like getting to know each other and like seeing yeah. some of your projects. And I'm going to link those in the description for the podcast episode. And before I dive into my thank yous and goodbyes, um, it's a classic, it's a tradition. What's your crime for this movie? And murder is an easy one. So let's not do murder. <laughs> let's, what's a good club dread inspired crime? Um, you are sentenced to ooh, you are sentenced to wear the itchy ice luge uh sweat like sweaty sweater that <laughs> Lars has to wear. Ooh, that's a good one. You know, actually I like that idea more than coming because I'm always conflicted when I come up with a crime because I don't want my listeners would think I'm condoning crime because I am never condoning crime. And my my spouse, the lawyer, always, uh, you know, tells me, affirms, tries to lessen my worry by saying that no one would ever do any of the crimes you say because it's clearly parody, but I always worry. So I much more like the idea of coming up with a punishment for a crime than <laughs> coming yeah. up with a crime. That's a much better idea. <laughs> I think um, for my punishment in that same vein i think that a good punishment would be having to listen to a song and interpreting all of its lyrics in the terms of how you could be killed by it oh that's hard yeah yeah and like you have to take a song that you know you like a, a random middle song from an album that's like a meant to be skipped song they like oh, yeah, they stuck filler. in there yeah. yeah and you have to interpret those lyrics as if you're waiting trying to figure out the killer's next move I think that's a good punishment oh yeah I could vibe with that <laughs> okay well that's been this episode of Guess Who You're Gonna Hate as always thank you so much to our patrons like I said it wouldn't have been possible to come back without the support of you guys uh, that really helped me purchase a new microphone and get it all set up again a big shout out to icy wiener for his generous donation to our patreon also shout out to kate my co-host who couldn't be here because she's moving and it was her birthday this weekend last weekend so yay oh, happy, happy birthday. birthday kate and thanks so much to kate's mom because she's a great supporter as well you can find us on our website at heypodcast.com on our instagram and twitter at hate podcast on our facebook page and group guess what you're gonna hate and like i'm pretty sure that's it and if you ever have any suggestions for anything just tweet at us let us know we're always willing to find new and exciting things to talk about and thanks for being so patient for us coming back again brian thank you so much for your time and i you know i enjoyed my little uh vacation uh, to island time to the bloodiest vacation i've ever been on I'm glad to, I'm glad to have helped shepherd your uh, your journey. <laughs>